You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident finalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So the plan today, or yesterday technically, but today was supposed to be what I told you I was going to do, and that is four different scenarios. The Packers are just a good team overall, uh, and then the Packers are a bad team, and then adjust for the two variables that I mentioned. Jordan Love is bad, defense is good, defense is bad, Jordan Love is good. And just when I was about to record, I see over on our uh, Packernet Discord that PFF has come out with a season simulator. Not only that, they allow you to adjust lineups and adjust player grades. Well, if that isn't the most perfect freaking thing ever for exactly what I wanted to do to prove my point, I don't know what is. And so I get all excited about it and I click on the Packers and I simulate the season and it comes out with some absolute nonsense. I think Jordan Love was going to throw like 40 passes, five interceptions and 5,000 some odd yards in his first season. And the Packers still had a bad season. I don't, you know, it was like an eight win season or something like that. But Jordan Love just freaking went off. So I was like, all right, this is stupid, but who cares? I'm going to go and I get to pick what all the grades are and everything else. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be super detailed, right? I'm going to go down and pick specific da 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 whatever. Well, the adjust grades thing isn't working. The player simulator for PFF is in beta. In fact, I couldn't even find it. I had to Google it, and then, um, then it popped up. So I don't know if they even have it in their menu yet. I don't know. I'm not sure. So then I was all thrown off. And I'm like, well, should I just do it anyways because I said I was going to do it and then come back to it? Or should I wait for them to unveil this? Could it be maybe tomorrow? Could it be this week? Is it going to be in a couple months? Start of the season? I don't know. I don't know anything about this. So here's what I'm going to do. Since I got all flustered yesterday, I'm going to pause it at least one more day. We'll see if there's any breaking news or whatever. But somebody had reached out and said, hey, man, I don't know if you talked about Lou Nichols or not. It was uh, Seymour94 on Twitter, at C-M-O-U-R-94. Just, you know, because. If you send me something and it ends up filling out my whole day as a thank you, I'll shout you out. Now my DMs are going to be flooded. All right. The bottom line is, though, what's really been bothering me is I really have not done a full look at our new players yet. I've talked about them. I've mentioned them briefly. But part of the issue with that is similar to the PFF thing where um, where I look at the All-22, uh, apparently they were going to get a bunch of new tape now that the draft is done. And, and our guys were a big part of that. And so I was like, all right, well, I better wait because I think Tucker Craft didn't have any. I don't, I don't even know if Musgrave did. A lot of our guys had nothing to even look at. So I just put it on the back burner. I'm like, I'm going to wait until I have a little bit more data, whatever. And now it's been so long. And it's like, how am I, one of the largest Packers podcasters, still without a fully formed opinion of the players we drafted? So I'm like, all right, we, we got to just do this. We got to get going here. So I don't want to start with Lucas Van Ness because I already have a pretty solid opinion of him. I watched a lot of his games because he had a lot of them. I have a pretty firm grasp of what he is and where I stand on him. And that is that he has a very high ceiling, is relatively raw, but I do not believe he's as raw as, as Rashawn Gary was. And maybe raw is even the wrong word. I, I think just maybe NFL ready or um, Packers defense ready. 
Whereas I think Rashawn Gary was a strictly 4-3 defensive end who really needed to have some help improving his pass rush. You know, he's got all the athletic ability, but but teaching him how to turn that into pass rush production was was part of the equation. And on top of that, they had to teach him to stand up, and that's basically all they wanted him to do. They wanted him to do that one thing so that he could learn it, and then once he learned it, then they would kind of expand the other things. Lucas Van Ness can stand up today. Not not saying he's perfect a perfect product, but they can stand him up off the edge, they can put him hand in the dirt off the edge, and they can put him along the line of scrimmage. And his specific skill set, which essentially is get low, push real hard, and be disruptive, can be applied to the NFL today. Now, does that mean he's going to be a uh, freak of nature or anything like that? No, it doesn't. He might. I don't know. But I, that, that should not be the expectation. And so I, I think one of the other things that I really want to do, this probably should be two episodes to kind of spread out the lack of uh, stuff going on. But I guess we do have OTS coming up. Anyways, what, what else I want to do is, is at least briefly look at expectations. And so, again, I think he's a versatile guy. I think he's going to come in as probably the number two to start until Rashawn gets back. Then he drops down to the number three, depending on how disruptive he can be. But again, my expectations are not massively high in year one. But I want to look at some guys that were drafted as pass rushers roughly in this same range. Let's just say we're not talking the top five guys because a lot of them did come out and just were dominant, right? From a PFF grade standpoint, I know if you don't like PFF grades, but it really is the best thing that I can use. Stats doesn't make any sense because a lot of guys didn't really get a lot of opportunities. And the per snap stats, well, first of all, it's just really hard because I have to go calculate it rather than just looking at grades. But beyond that, it's, it's kind of tied up in the grades. But Rashawn Gary was taken in the first round, pick 12. Uh, his first year, he had a 58, uh, 55 grade, then a 68, and then it was in year three that he finally kind of broke out from a grade standpoint. His stats were always pretty good, whatever, but uh, TJ Watt, we just assume he was always elite. It was actually kind of year three. He had a good year as a rookie, a 71 grade, and then a 75. 71 is solid for a rookie. Um, but it wasn't until year three that he had his 91.3 and became the TJ Watt that we all know and, and hate. Uh, Josh Allen was taken seven, which is still kind of early, but not quite in that top five-ish range. But uh, his first year, 68. Second, 69. Third, 78. Fourth, 84. So he's still, I mean, this was maybe his first year of getting to that borderline really good level. And even that, I mean, just glancing at his consistency isn't that great. But, you know, again, year four before he kind of gets there and maybe he takes another step after that. I don't know. Uh, Montez Sweat taken at pick 26. His rookie year was a 60. Second year, 80. So it was kind of year two. And then he kind of took a step back and then stepped forward again, 75, then 86. Uh, Brandon Graham, 2010, 13th overall pick. His first two years were kind of bad for Philly. I mean, his second year was injured, but 63 and 63. So his first two years, he looked like he was just a complete bum, which is, is kind of interesting because for most of us, if we see a guy that doesn't play well in their first year, we're like, this is not good. If we see him not play well in his second year, we just assume it's far, it's completely over. There are so many guys who have been so elite for so many years that we don't even think about. You know, that's the thing. These guys could have careers for, how many, how many years has he he's been since 2010? The guy's played 13 seasons and is still going. He had a 90 grade last year, Brandon Graham did for the Eagles. But he went 63, 63, and then boom, 91. It was year three that he figured it out. After he was injured, by the way, came back and just tore it up. And he's been pretty much on top ever since, aside from 2021, when he was injured again. 
Marcus Davenport, the guy that the Saints traded up for for the 14th pick and then inexplicably traded away to the uh, Vikings. I still don't understand why they did that. But his rookie year was a 69. Year two, 84. He's been inconsistent every year, but it's it's been above the 84-75, 88-77. But from a pass rush standpoint, you see the biggest difference from a 62 to a 73, and it never came back. Uh, Gregory Rousseau had a pretty solid rookie season in 2021 with a 73 grade, but it's still not mega elite. He was a 30th pick. He went from a 73 up to an 81, and who knows how much of a step he takes again. So just a couple examples of guys to, to demonstrate that I don't think any of them that I looked at really came in and started dominating year one. Now, again, some of these first, second, third overall pick guys, uh, Von Miller, the the Watt guys, I don't know about both of them or whatever, but um, Nick Bosa. Actually, I do have one example of a guy that was taken at pick 12, but he was drafted as a linebacker and came in as one of the best pass rushers in football, and that's Micah Parsons. The guy was just miscast his entire whatever, but uh, even Miles Garrett a little bit. He was taken number one overall. He started, I mean, granted, it's really high for a rookie to play at an 80 overall grade, but um, even that is not exactly what Miles is today. And in fact, it wasn't until one, two, three, four, his year five that he cracked 90, and he's been at 92 the last two years. So it took him kind of five years to fully get there. Not that anyone's even really noticed, but this is why People say you draft for the future. Drafting for today is so stupid, it doesn't mean anything. And this is also why we've heard guys like Ted Thompson and whatnot say for years, you don't draft for need because you don't know what your needs will be in the future. That doesn't just mean next year. Well, I could pretty much tell because we could look at the contracts. No, dude, we're talking five years from now. You know what your needs are going to be five years from now? No. You don't even technically know what your needs are going to be this year. You definitely don't know what your needs are next year or the year after that or that or that. You have no earthly idea. So the point is, three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, what players can you draft right now that are going to be the most dominant when, when that three-year mark comes up? And for the Packers, that was Lucas Van Ness. And I think, most, I, I think the grade that people assign to the Green Bay Packers probably goes up if you look at it from that standpoint. Because a lot of people be like, well, yeah, I mean, in three years, sure, he'll probably be a free, uh, freak and all, but I mean, you know. How much does he help you this year? I don't really know. So anyways, that's where I'm at with Lucas Van Ness. Then we get to Luke Musgrave, who I keep wanting to call Lucas Musgrave. I really wish we could just pick one there, Luke. The two first picks are Luke, and one is Lucas, one's Luke. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's fine. You guys can live out your dreams however you, however you deem is fine with you. It was funny. A little, little aside. What's, what's occurred to me, you know how they always talk about like the, there, there's a character of the first child and then there's like the youngest child and the middle child and all that stuff. I probably should have known this, but it didn't occur to me until I had four kids of my own and I realized they really fall in line with all those characteristics. The reason is the parents. It's not the kids. It's not like your DNA d- d- deteriorates over time. It's the parents. The, the first kid is super diligent and all that stuff because you were strict. You were a psychopath with your first kid. Like every single thing, you know, they get your full attention. Every move they make is critiqued and everything else. And then when you get to your fourth kid, as I have, the other day, I think I was, I forgot what I was doing. I was making some coffee or something for myself. And my two-year-old comes over, middle of the day, no pants, comes over and grabs a marshmallow out of a bag. I just let it go. Takes a big old bite. 
says, can I go downstairs and watch TV with the kids? And I said, Brinley, just follow your heart. Do whatever you want. <laughs> just follow your heart, kid. She didn't know what that meant, but of course she just went downstairs because, I mean, she's asking, but she's not really asking. And, um, and then there goes my pantsless two-year-old stuffing her face with a marshmallow to go watch TV with her older siblings. And that's when it hit me. All of these... <laughs> Man, if, if me before I had kids could see me now, he'd be... He probably wouldn't have kids. I had it all planned out, man. Holy cow. I knew exactly how to be a parent. And I probably did. I probably knew more about actually being a parent back then than I do now. So I was looking into it, man. I was like, oh, man, you got to <sighs> Go away. That's, that's, that is parenting right now. I just go. Do it. Please. Leave me alone. Stop asking me every second. The, the, the art of, of my life right now with four kids and a wife is to learn to listen to three different conversations at once. Do you know how hard that is? It hurts my brain so much when multiple people are trying to talk to me at the same time and they just talk over each other like, whatever, I should take priority. You better be listening to me. And then you got to be super crafty with your uh-huhs to, to kind of like make everybody satisfied. Like, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> this funny story. All right, Luke Musgrave. Still zero. Zero. We got Tucker Craft. We have zero Luke Musgrave. All 22. That's upsetting. But you can go watch his two games on YouTube. I've already done that. Um, if you go back prior to that, you get back to kind of, I don't want to say a pointless time, but that's not why he was drafted. You know, the Packers drafted him based on what he did in 2022 in that limited time. That was sort of his breakout, and, and that's what they're banking on. Um, look, I think he's the, the speedy field stretcher. Uh, I do have some concerns about his ability really to to do, I don't want to say anything else because that's not necessarily true. He's got the speed to come across the middle, but if you watch that first play of that Boise State game, just type in Lucas Mus or Luke Musgrave versus Boise State, and it'll pop up. Very first play, he's coming across the middle, catches a pass, and tries to really get up to speed so he can take the corner. And number seven, who's a linebacker, granted he is their best player on their defense, but um, pretty big guy, 240 pounds. He catches them easily, and as I think most of us know at this point. Uh, Luke Musgrave doesn't really have any tackle-breaking ability whatsoever, which is kind of a negative when you're that big. The, the hope is that you'd be able to kind of break some tackles. I mean, maybe if he's lined up against a corner or something, he'd be able to muscle him away. But um, it is kind of disappointing when you are expected to be kind of a speed threat to not be able to get the corner against a linebacker, especially a Boise State linebacker who, I mean, just look at the guy. He looks pretty hefty. So, I mean, he, he, he might be able to kind of you know, I mean, if that was a, a third and two and he was able to convert, then that obviously that's not useless. And, you know, he'll be able to kind of help with those kinds of things. But it seems to me as though Tucker Craft would be more utilized in that way or Josiah DeGuara. And so he's sort of this field stretcher and, and, and seam, seam buster, which isn't a thing, I don't think. And I guess the question would be, you know, how often is that going to be utilized in terms of that actually being a, a pass that's thrown and completed? I don't know as opposed to just being a threat. In other words, we send him to open things up underneath. But anyways, just in terms of expectation, do you know who the last guy was that got taken um, in this same range as Luke Musgrave? There was only one last year. It was Trey McBride. And Trey McBride, there was a lot of hype and a lot of excitement. And granted, I don't know that Trey McBride is, is necessarily as good. Remember, that was a not a very deep tight end class. And so... Um, you know, the, the, the first guys that get picked generally are kind of a reach and whatnot, but that's sort of what you're looking at there, Trey McBride. 
out of 119 different tight ends that took a snap, he was graded as the 101st best tight end for the Arizona Cardinals. He had a 50.9 grade, 53.6 receiving grade, as I think the top tight end in the entire draft last year. To put things further into context, we talked about tight ends and how hard it is to find quality tight ends. Out of 119, do you know how many were in the 70s or higher? 23. Do you know how many were in the 80s or higher? Four. How about 90s? One. It's really just not a position that is filled with a lot of talent. And as somebody had, I think, either called in or talked about on PF or on uh, Patreon or something, I can't remember where they reached out, but they had kind of mentioned the philosophy or the idea that the reason that tight ends are so devoid in the NFL is because they become basketball players. Not impossible, I don't know. But it becomes even less if you look at the amount of guys that actually play decent snaps. There's only 13 with a 70 grade or higher, three with an 80 grade or higher, and then again, Travis Kelsey was the only one in the 90s. There's 32 teams. There are only 13 quality tight ends. One of them was a rookie, and he was fourth-round rookie, Chigazim Okonkwo. That's the other thing about tight ends. You have no idea who's going to break out and who's not. The good news, though, is that of those 13... Uh, in 2021, there was also only one drafted in that range, and it was Pat Fryermuth. And Pat Fryermuth is one of those top 13 guys for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. The other bit of good news is that he came in and did it as a rookie. Now, he doesn't seem to be moving upward uh, super fast, but he came in at a 72.6 grade, which is fantastic for a rookie, and then went up to a 75.5 grade the next year, which is very similar, but still solid. The year before that, only one, and it was Mr. Cole Komet, the Chicago Bear. And as much as Chicago Bears fans love him, the guy's had three years. He hasn't really done anything. 57, 63, and 67 are his grades. It is upward mobility, but he's going into year four, trying to have his first good year ever. 2019, um, there were two, Irv Smith and Drew Sample. Irv Smith had a 56 PFF grade for the Minnesota Vikings. Drew Sample, 52.3. They were both bottom four just in their own draft class. You know who was number one from the 2019 draft class? It was 2019 undrafted free agent Donald Parham for the, for the LA Chargers. Tight end is, again, everybody always talks about quarterback as the hardest position to scout. Bullcrap. It's very easy to tell what the hardest position to scout is, and it's the one that the, the scouts get wrong the most. If quarterback was the hardest position to scout, there would be just as many sixth-round hits as there are first-round hits. Almost every single high-quality quarterback in the NFL was not only a first-round pick, but a high first-round pick. Top half. There's no question marks. Very rarely does one slip through the cracks. It does seem like it's happening more now than it used to, but... Tight end? Complete crapshoot. And by the way, I made the range pretty wide. We took our guy at 42, I think. Um, I put it between, I think, 25 and... 60 or something. But the final year I want to look at, and I think this is important because this is probably the last time there was actually a similar or comparable amount of tight ends in terms of um, the talent and whatnot. There was Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, um, let's see, Dalton Schultz, Hayden Hurst, Mike Gesicki, right? Lots of tight ends that were very much liked. Actually, 2017 is probably pretty similar too. But anyways, in that range... You have Hayden Hurst, Mike Kosicki, and Dallas Goddard. Mike Kosicki was taken right at 42. He has not panned out exactly as everybody would have hoped him to pan out. He did have a stint uh, in 2020 where he seemed really solid, but that was it. 
But Dallas Goddard, who is the guy that I have compared Luke Musgrave to, who was taken at pick 49, is one of the better tight ends in football right now for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he came in to the league pretty much swinging. First year, 75 grade, that was his lowest uh, of his entire career. Played for a small school, South Dakota State, 6'5", 250. I mean, the, the build, the speed, the depth of the draft class, the small school thing, where they were picked, the speed, all that stuff, it all kind of points to that for me. So that's my hope, that we can get some Dallas Goddard-type production from him. I would love to have, let's see, his first year. And remember, that there was multiple tight ends in Philadelphia. In 2018, when he, was, when he was drafted, the number one receiver was Zach Ertz. He had 126 receptions. Alshon Jeffrey was the number one wide receiver. He had 76. So Zach Ertz was by far the number one receiver on this team. Dallas Goddard came in, graded out really well, but not a ton of production. 35 receptions, 350 yards, 5 touchdowns, 75 grade. Now, we don't have Zach peak Zach Ertz on this team. So as far as my own personal, I guess, expectations, I shouldn't say expectations. A good year, I think, for him would be in the ballpark of four or 500 yards, maybe a couple touchdowns, and anything in the 70s. If he gets a 70.0 grade, I'm happy with that. In fact, 69s are, are 68s, whatever. They're relatively high for rookies. But similar to Christian Watson, you know, when you look at some of the better wide receivers in the NFL, a lot of them really had good first years. I think the way that I phrased it was something along the lines of uh, not everybody who is a good football player or a good wide receiver had a good first year, but pretty much all the guys that had good first years went on to be good football players. So that was a great sign for him. And again, between 30 and 40 receptions would be, what would that be? It's like basically two a game, right? So it's not that much. But what happened? From year one to year two, it went from 35 receptions to 65, from 350 yards to 680, and then the five touchdowns stayed the same, and then from a 75 grade to an 82. His best year being 2021, 62 receptions, 922 yards, four touchdowns, 90.7 grade. For Jaden Reed, I think the the speed is evident, the route running and and the shiftiness and whatnot is evident. I I think as I go back and watch, and I really hadn't watched a ton of Jaden Reed before, but what's becoming evident to me is that my favorite attribute of Jaden Reed's is his ability to get open. And that doesn't sound like a, a very um, helpful analysis, but there, there's, there's two things. The suddenness is really important for him. There was a play for Devontae Adams that is probably burned in the back of your memory. I'm going to try to unlock it. But Devontae Adams, it was, he was in the end zone, and he somehow had the ability to be about 10 yards wide open in the end zone. It was the left side of the field, and it was one of these things where he, he's, he's right there with the defender, and you're like, he's not open. He takes one sharp cut, and now he's like three yards open, just like that. Then he takes another cut, and just as mo- it's like these angles that he keeps taking. And every time he cuts, he gets further and further wide open. And by the time the ball got there, that defender was so lost. And I, I don't even really understand it. It was just this it, an understanding of, of angles, I guess. I don't know. But he, he kind of goes into him, and then he cuts, and then he's open, then he cuts, and he's even more open. I've seen Jaden Reed do that multiple times where he runs a route and it's like, oh, the defender's right there. And then it's that final cut or that final move or the last two moves where it's like, dude, he's wide open right now. How does that... Because having watched football so many times, you can kind of see, especially from wide receivers, they'll run this route and then sometimes sometimes they, they're open, sometimes they're not. And that's usually it, right? You try your best. You put your foot in the ground, you try to make that one cut. And if the defender's on you, he's on you and you're just not getting away. And with Jaden, it's it's 
never over till it's over. And he always just has this innate ability. And half the time, I think it's on purpose, right? Ah, you got me, shoot, boom, he's gone, right? Like an out and up. He'll run like this real big shimmy shake thing, and then he'll go break to the outside, and the defender's there. It's like, oh, crap. And then, boom, he explodes up up the field, and he is wide open. There was another where it's it's sort of a... He ran basically like a curl route, and the defender was kind of right there. And he kind of, like, moves back, and then he moves out. And by the time he makes that second cut, he's wide open down the field. And he's uh, he, he didn't get the ball. But just he just has this insane ability to get away from people. The other play that I am just obsessed with, this is against Illinois. One of the best DB groups, if not the best DB group in football, is he's running... I wish I knew routes better. But essentially, he's on the right side. He's going to go across the middle of the field, but but it's not, like, up. And in, it's just this big, wide, looping arch, right? The defender is angled inward. So as Jaden starts to kind of go toward the middle of the field and, and curl in, he realizes that is, this defender is going to be able to run with me the whole time, right? Maybe I can outrun him. And I think most wide receivers would try that, or maybe they do this something to try to throw him off or whatever, to the middle of the field to, to continue this little, this route. He's wide open, and he does get the ball. It was just this little stutter step. He and, and 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 I think the big thing is he's able to recognize what's going on in the moment. It's not for a lot of guys, everything's kind of predetermined. Like, here's my route, and here's the move I'm going to put on. I think Jaden saw, as he was in the route, what the problem was, and he fixed it. I just think he has this unbelievable ability to do these, to, to, to adapt to the situation and find ways to get open. He knew that if he just ran the route as it was, he was not going to be open on this play. He does a quick stutter step, and then he explodes into his route, and that freezes the DB just long enough because he's, he's got to kind of like, oh, shoot, he's going to try to break to the outside of me, flips his hips that way, and then by the time he flips his hips, hips back and tries to run with him, no chance. I'm sure there are times when he's not open. I haven't seen it yet against Illinois. And, and the, again, the crazy thing is I've seen so many wide receivers, whether that be in the NFL or watching college guys, so many times you'll watch these guys run a route, and it's like, it didn't work. It just, it happens all the time. Like, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. With Jaden, it's never over till it's over. And, and that is a, a great attribute to have, not even just for, you know, his ability to get open on, on different routes and, and whatnot, but when the play breaks down, sort of the old school Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, how they would be able to get away and, and find ways to get open for your quarterback, I think he's going to be phenomenal at that. Anyways, took a couple uh, videos for Patreon Substack just to kind of give you an idea of what I've been talking about, but a lot to like about him, the speed, the route running, the ability to get away from people, and then... The violence and physicality as well. I, I really like the uh, Jair of the offense comp because he is sort of a mighty mouse. You know, he's not that small. I, I'm just saying he's uh, extremely violent. I was going to take another video of it, and I'm like, dude, you got to get the podcast going. You're taking videos all day long. Anyways, looking at some of the people that have gone in that range, last year there were a ton of wide receivers that went in that range. Um, this year, only two, Jaden Reed and Rasheed Rice. I, I'm looking between, we took him at 50, so I'm, I'm going 40 to 60. Last year, between 40 and 60, Wandale Robinson, John Mechie, Tyquan Thornton, uh, George Pickens, Alec Pierce, and Sky Moore, all taken in that range. Interestingly enough, you know who the highest graded was? He only played in a handful of games or whatever, but it's still funny. It was Jaden Reed's teammate, Michigan State Spartans Jalen Naylor, 91.6 grade. But right at 50, the same spot last year was Tyquan Thornton by the New England Patriots. There were 34 rookie receivers last year. Tyquan was 25th out of that group with a 55 grade. The most similar receiver, however, is probably Sky Moore. Sky Moore, 5'10", 195, exact same build. 
Uh, I don't think he exactly has the speed, but Sky Moore uh, this past year. Also going into a pretty volatile wide receiver situation with wide receiver one leaving and not really having a bunch of uh, other guys to lean on, but he had 27 receptions for 267 yards and a touchdown, 67.7 overall grade. So not super fantastic for Sky Moore. The other undersized guy was 5'8", 185, Wandale Robinson. He had a 72 overall grade and missed more than half the season. Taekwon, as I said, really pretty bad year, 55 overall grade. Um, Alec Pierce for the Indianapolis Colts had a 61 overall grade, 61 receiving grade. And then the one everybody knows and loves, George Pickens, really not much better than anybody else. He had a 68.8 grade. Um, But overall, that entire class, none of them really massively stood out. The really good wide receivers and guys that actually played were Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, um, uh, Rashid Shahi, I guess he kind of played enough, I don't know, uh, Christian Watson, Traylon Burks, um, nah, that's, of the 80s, it was Olave, Wilson, and London, and that's it. So I, I guess if we're talking expectations, you also got to think London, Wilson, and Olave are going to teams where they have the opportunity to be number ones. I think Jaden Reed does as well, technically, but I don't know for sure that he will. I certainly hope for better than what Sky Moore was. He was kind of a disaster in Kansas City. I'll tell you what, here's, here's what I would like to see. Very similar, actually very similar type of player. 5'11", 182, so he's bigger than, than him. But you've got the speed and route running on top of it. It's Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson had a 70.5 grade, 523 yards, and seven touchdowns. And he did miss a good amount of time from week... He missed five, six, seven, eight, and nine. So missing five weeks and still coming up with over 500 yards and seven touchdowns with a 70 PFF grade, I think would be a fantastic start to the season for Jaden Reed. Now, obviously, everybody would love for him to crack 1,000 yards and double-digit touchdowns as a rookie, but... Again, considering I don't even know that he'd be the number one or even necessarily number two, not sure exactly how realistic that is. Now, I want to sneak in Tucker Craft before we get there. Um, look, it, it, it's, it's hard for me to... I mean, it's not hard for me to understand what is to like about Tucker Craft. I, I just... It's hard for me to find those, like, jaw-dropping moments. And even when you find them, like, the only game that I really have to look at is against North Dakota State. Right, so he's able to like bulldoze ahead and get a touchdown, and it's like, yeah, but it's North Dakota State, dude. Like, if that's the Philadelphia Eagles, does he catch that and get blasted? Does he even catch it because somebody comes down and gets? I, you know, I, I, I don't know. There doesn't seem to be a massive amount of speed. He ran basically a four-seven. Um, he seems to have good hands, although he had a sixty-three drop grade, which means they were mediocre hands. But I didn't really see any problem with it. He looked to be able to handle that phase. Although I, I, I did see that first attempted a pass where the ball hit him right in the face and then he got hit from behind. It was one of the ugliest things I've seen. <laughs> ball bounces off your face and then you get blasted from behind and just get laid out. And no, that wasn't why he dropped it. He dropped it first and then got lit up. But it's mostly that he's just a bull, you know? But the problem with tight ends is they all look slow and lumbery. So it's like, what... what? I mean, I guess you can see it from the standpoint of, look, in this offense, you're going to have guys opening up space. He just runs to that space, catches it, and then tries to bulldoze ahead. But Feels like, man, you know, if that's all we needed, I feel like Mercedes Lewis really could have been a big asset. That dude was nothing but a bull. Why couldn't we just put him in the open spot and have him steamroll 700 people? I mean, we did it like twice a year, but I don't know. I, I, 
again, this is one of those things where it's like, okay, you're, you're saying this is a great asset. I'd love to see a side-by-side of him and pretty much any other tight end and show me why he's able to execute something that other guys can't. I mean, if that's all we need, we'd just get a big offensive. We should have David Bakhtiari out there running routes or something. You know, get Sean Ryan. Can he catch? Have him run to the open spot, catch it, and steamroll six guys. So I'm not anti-Tucker Craft. I'm just watching it. I have one game to watch. He's not particularly fast. He, he doesn't have particularly great hands, based on what I'm seeing here. 9.7% drop percentage is pretty bad. He is relatively strong, which is cool, but again, against really bad competition. So, I don't know. I mean, again, it's, it's actually very similar to Christian Watson, where it's like, yeah, he seems pretty good, I guess. I don't know. He's open, but would he be open in the NFL? I have no way of knowing that. Well, and then he got to the NFL, and he was wide open all the time. I was like, yep, I guess so. So, I just got to see it in the NFL, I guess. I got to see what, what he can do. I, I can't get there. It, and it's, it's embarrassingly so, because I told... Uh, Jake, our our draft guy, I was like, hey man, I need your help with these tight ends because I don't get it. And he's like, well, you're not going to need my help with Tucker Craft. That one speaks for itself. And I'm watching him going, I don't see anything. I mean, again, he, he does have that sort of gronk look to him. He really does. He, he's he's just this big, scary thing running down the field and he runs to an open part of the field. He gets the ball and he turns and he bulldozes a couple guys and goes forward. But my my whole thing is, aren't there like 70 guys that can do that? Against North Dakota State, I mean, take any of the failing tight ends in the NFL, send him back to college, put him against North Dakota State. You're telling me he can't run to that open part of the field, catch a pass, turn around, and run through a guy? Come on. So I'm hopeful. I, I, I Again, I like it all on paper, especially the complimentary aspect of the two tight ends. I mean, everything I like about Tucker Craft is what I don't like about Musgrave, his complete inability to run through anything. But he's got that speed and fluidity and all that that I don't really see from Tucker Craft. Um, as far as expectations, first of all, I mean, look, he was taken in the third round. Should I have any expectations? I, don't, I think we should drop our expectations to zero. And if he comes out and does something, then that's great. But, I mean, look, I, I, I hate to do this to you, but when I look at, we took him at 78. If we go from 68 to 88, you know who's in that range? Jay Sternberger. It's the last time we took a guy in this range. He was pick 75, Tucker Craft pick 78. Three spots before Tucker Craft. And by the way, I love Sternberger. I really liked him when I watched Not not that that means anything, but I'm just saying, I was more excited about Jace than I am about Tucker Craft. Some other guys, uh, Jelani Woods, another guy that I liked, and I think a lot of Packer fans really liked Jelani Woods. Woods was actually, out of all tight ends, the 30th best receiver, which is not terrible. He actually graded as the 19th best if you filter out some of the other guys. So being the 19th best receiving tight end, one spot ahead of Dalton Schultz and whatnot, is uh, not a terrible spot to be in. He had a 65 overall grade and a 68 receiving grade. Um, let's see. The Also in that range last year was Greg Dulcich. He was actually very similar. He was just two spots behind. So Jelani Woods, then Dalton Schultz, then Greg Dulcich. So they were both in that range. Uh, Jelani Woods, 25 receptions, 312 yards, three touchdowns. Dulcich, 33 receptions, 411 yards, two touchdowns. So they were both fine, and they both graded quite highly. Neither of them produced hardly anything. Uh, the year before that was Hunter Long and Tommy Tremble. Hunter Long, in his career, as the 82nd pick, in two years, has three targets, one reception for eight yards. Tommy Tremble, uh, this past year, had 19 receptions for 174 yards and three touchdowns for the Carolina Panthers, a 49.5 grade, a 45.8 receiving grade. The year before that, Josh Oliver and Jay Sternberger. As rookies, they were the worst and third worst. Josh Oliver was 18th out of 18. 
with a 41 receiving grade. Jace was 16 out of 18 with a 55 grade. So not a ton of amazing guys. You'd have to go back to 2018 when you have Mark Andrews. Hilariously, you also have Tyler Croft and and Jordan Reed. (laughs) You know, because it sounds like who we drafted. But not an amazing, uh, not an amazing hit rate. Mark Andrews, however, is a top five tight end. He's absolutely fantastic. So there is that. But um, and I will say, <laughs> I will say, there is a, there are a lot of similarities here. It's funny how there's there's one guy that compares really well to Luke Musgrave, and that's the one guy that's like a top ten tight end in the NFL. There's one guy in this range that's a really good comp, and that's the one top five guy, Mark Andrews, six five two forty seven, runs a four six seven. Tucker Craft, 6'5", 254, runs a 4.69. Very similar build, very similar uh, speed. Obviously played for a bigger program, but still. It's actually the number four and number five tight ends in the NFL, Dallas Goddard and Mark Andrews this past year. So that's what I'm going to run with. We have Dallas and Mark Andrews on our team. But realistic expectations, man, I, I don't know. Even Mark Andrews in his first year, he had 37 receptions, 583 yards, three touchdowns, 73 grades. So best case scenario sub 600 yards and three touchdowns. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm just trying to be realistic. If I look at the last 20 tight ends since 2010 that were drafted in this range at that position, one of them is a superstar. Everybody else is either out of the league or just not very good, including a Green Bay Packer that we all regard as one of the worst picks. (laughs) I don't know why, but he's one of the least favorite picks of everybody. So I know this isn't temper your expectation season, but I'm just trying to be realistic here a little bit. But all right. And and to be fair, these are the guys you kind of already knew my opinion on, at least to some degree. Again, Musgrave and Kraft, there's not much to look at. Musgrave is the faster receiving guy. We'll see how it goes. Again, I gave you the expectations. Tucker Kraft is our Mark Andrews. So, you know, so I gave you some realistic expectations there. And then Jaden Reed. And, and I went a little bit more into Jaden Reed. I still have more game tape to watch. But I, I again, I you kind of get to the point where it's like, I think I get it. I can watch more, but I think I kind of get it. And that's my thing with him. I like his speed. I like his route running. But I also really like just that he seems to be a natural receiver and understands things, understands leverage or whatever. He just knows how to get open, and he does a great job with that. And then, of course, there's the, the, there is the physicality and the, the, the ability after the catch. He catches it, and he, he'll break some tackles and, and all these kinds of things. So I'm, I'm excited to watch what he's able to do and how we end up using him. But after the break, I want to dig a little bit more into the guys that I haven't given my full opinion of quite yet, in hopes that there will be more tape of them, but also kind of going through and trying to give a little bit more of reasonable expectations based on what we've seen in the past. Uh, If you'd like to join in on Patreon, it would be greatly appreciated to help support the podcast. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is where you can do that. You can join us for as little as $1 per month. Also, please consider giving to Fertile Ground Ranch at Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry uh, at FertileGroundRanch.org. Take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, let's have some fun, boys and girls. Uh, we're going to have to pick up the pace a little bit, but I want to start looking at some of these guys. Uh, we've got one, two, three, four, nine more picks to get through. We're going to start with Mr. Colby Wooden. So my personal opinion on Colby, again, just, just having watched some stuff and um, kind of trying to get a final opinion on him, he does feel like an unfinished product. I absolutely think he can hang. He's got, uh, he, he fits the mold of what the Packers seem to have wanted, especially this year, and that is just find guys that are bigger and stronger than everybody. and Not, not necessarily even bigger, but just he's just stronger than you. He's got so much raw power in his body. You certainly think he can hang. His second best pass rush game of the year was against Georgia. Not statistically, but grade-wise. Um, it certainly looks unrefined. See him get washed out. One of my least favorite attribute about him is that he seems to be playing at half speed for most of this game. Right? I mean, the amount of time it takes for him to even engage with the offensive line, he's kind of just laying around. But once in a while, when he decides, I'm just going for it, you can see it. And it's like, oh, jeez. Right, the, um, the play you've probably seen on the goal line against Georgia where he just throws the tackle out of the way and, and stops the running back from getting in. I mean, there, there's a lot of potential there. And he's got the inside-outside versatility, I think. Um, I think he'll be a rotational player, and I, I do think it'll take some time, and we'll see what he uh, amounts to. I do tend to think he's going to be largely an outside edge guy at 6'4", 273. I don't know that he can survive all that well on the inside in the NFL. But again, we'll see. Certainly a powerful guy, but I think he'll be in the rotation. I mean, if we just look at our, our defensive edge rush group, you got Preston, you got Rashawn, you got Lucas Van Ness, and you got Kingsley. I don't think he's ahead of any of those guys. But I'll tell you what, for, for the, uh, the amount of competition we're going to have for a number five pass rusher, and then again, having the interior uh, versatility of some of these guys where if they do end up becoming quite talented. You can kick Lucas Van Ness inside, Rashawn Gary inside, Preston inside, Colby inside, if you even need to, because not only do we have now Wyatt Slayton and Kenny, but we've got Carl Brooks and started adding to that group. And maybe Colby. Maybe they're going to try him inside more often. But again, at, at you know just a hair over 270, I don't think he's going to make it too long inside. But I, I, I just, you know, the, the Packers talked about really wanting to bolster that group, and I think they've done it. And, and I think it's to the point now where, you know, we've had it in the past where you've, you know, you, you've got your one or two pass rushers you like, and you're worried about the next couple. You know, you, you, Garvin is okay, but you don't love him. And then it's, you know, Garvin and, and whoever he was with. And it's like, man, I just, you know, depending on injuries or whatever, I, I don't really love our depth, especially since we rotate so often. You know, it's not like Rashawn and Preston are 80% out there. But I think he'll he'll be in the discussion with, you know, Kingsley and Igbarra, kind of in that range. But because we have so many guys, I don't know how many opportunities he's going to get. So it's one of those things where he's developmental, and it might be a slow development. And so he just kind of gets thrown in there once in a while. 
because it's really becoming crowded. And especially since this outside-inside thing is becoming so blurred, there's just such a big pile of guys. I mean, you've even got inside guys that can go outside. You, you In a four-man front, Wyatt could play outside. You know, Kenny's done it a couple times. Carl Brooks is going to be able to do it. You know, we talk about the combinations, the potential combinations along the offensive line. The defensive line is even more so. They're going to try all these guys and look at all the different packages and all the different things they can do and situationally, who's the best four or best five or whatever. It's endless combinations. But as far as my expectations, again, I just don't see him getting on the field a ton. I think he'll be part of the rotation, but I think he's going to be kind of low man on the totem pole. Again, I mean, with, with Rashawn out, he might maybe be number four, which would give him a decent amount of time. But I don't know if he would necessarily even be that. We'll see who even makes it. You know, if, if, if Garvin is not on the team, I think that's going to help him. But I think there's a chance Garvin ends up taking that job over Colby. But I will say there's a decent amount of guys that have made some good careers for themselves. There's a weird filter here, but I'm just going with defensive ends because I don't know. But uh, aside from, you know, Colby Wooden guys that were drafted kind of in this range, a few names you might know. Max Crosby was taken at 106. Um, Zadarius Smith was taken at 122. We took Colby Wooden at 116. Um, quite a few guys that, that are at least role players, if not good football players. You know, Cam Sample, Derek Barnes for the Lions, DJ Wonham in Minnesota, Anthony Nelson, Austin Bryant, Deshaun Hand. Some of these guys aren't great, but I mean, the fact that I know all their names, you know, they're all players. Cassius Marsh, Durance Armstrong, and again, I, I mean, I know it's a fluke, but Max Crosby is a top five pass rusher in the NFL. So, um, and Zadarius ain't so bad. But my actual expectation is is he's a rotational guy. He's maybe number four with Rashawn out. Obviously going to make the team, but I think he's a developmental guy, and I think the development is going to be slow because there's so many guys. Sean Clifford, there's not much to say. I mean, he's going to hold a clipboard. I don't think there's much expectation beyond that. I did like what I saw essentially in, in uh, from him playing. Like the toughness, the intelligence, the uh, some of the throws he makes are pretty wild. He's got he's got a lot of Brett Favre in him, I think, which is going to be fun in the preseason. Uh, Dontavian Wicks, I he was one of my least favorite evaluations when I watched him. The only game I had was 2022 against Illinois. There were a couple plays, and I talked about this in the podcast when I covered Dontavian Wicks. A um, couple plays where you kind of go, "Oh, dang, what was that?" But it was so few and far between. I think it happened twice in that game that it was kind of irrelevant because the rest of the game, there was just nothing there. Well, then you come to find out 2022 was a terrible year for him, but it's still a massive question as to why. And my my concern for him the entire time is a lack of motivation. Right? I, remember, I remember when I looked into it, he really wanted to play basketball. That was his dream in life. Really didn't want to play football, but his brother kind of pushed him into it. And so when I see sort of this guy that seems to have a bunch of talent but chooses not to use it, Wanted to be a basketball player, not a football player. It, it just kind of felt like what happened to that motivation. Why did it fall off so much? But anyways, if you go on YouTube, there are a couple of games from 2021. One of them is uh, Devi to Dynasty. I don't know how he's able to put all 22 on YouTube. I got an immediate, immediate flag when I did that. I don't know how he's able to pull this off. But anyways, you can watch that one. He shows a couple clips. Otherwise, there's his game against North Carolina, which it always sucks watching on YouTube because you can only watch the first you know, half a step of his route before he's off the screen. But it's very easy to see why you would fall in love with the guy. And it's very easy to see why he would have an extremely high ceiling. The speed obviously is not necessarily there. He ran a 4.62, which is uh, not great. And his ability to, to get, you know, down the field and get behind people, um, I mean, he can still do it, but you worry about the 4.62. 
But the two attributes that he has that I think marry really well together are suddenness and his 0 to 60 is like 0.5 seconds. And so when you look at a guy that can come out of his break, and he and as far as if I had to pick a guy to beat somebody off the line, whether I had to choose Dontavian Wicks or Jaden Reed, I might pick Wicks. Reed is intelligent in the way that he does stuff. But if you're looking for a guy that is just extremely sudden and can just get from 0 to 60, or in his case, 0 to 40, <laughs> it's really, really impressive. And suddenness is important. I mean, if, if you can get him to kind of tighten some things up, learn the offense, learn the routes. I mean, an offense where the ball comes out quickly, especially considering we already have Reed and we already have Watson and we already have Musgrave, we have guys that can attack down the field. Having a really premier route running type of guy, good hands. Um, 6'1", is not massively big, but he plays big. He looks really, he looks bigger than he is. I don't know if it's because he's a little lanky or something. I'm not sure what it is, but he looks like a big receiver. He's very physical. It's very easy to see how, if he can just pick up the offense and put in the work, and he's in a great locker room to do that with the guys that we have. Get with these guys, get in front of the jugs machine, get in the playbook, put that talent to use. Because I'm telling you, this guy is extremely gifted in terms of the way that he can move his body. And, and when you can marry suddenness and that, that explosive speed, you know, if you can just beat somebody off the line because your, your quick twitch is so unbelievably fast and you're, you're just moving at another angle at the you know, snap of a finger, and then you can also get up to top speed immediately, you can beat people off the line all day. And then, again, with that suddenness to just come out of your break on, on a timing offense, to be able to just come out of your break really quickly and, and get that split second of separation and then catch a pass and turn up the field, I don't see any reason why Dontavian Wicks can't be... I mean, I already said before, I don't think Dontavian Wicks is going to be Romeo Dobbs. But at the same time, I don't see why he couldn't be better than Romeo Dobbs. Because although he doesn't have the top speed, he doesn't have the get-down-the-field ability, I don't even think he's as good of a route runner yet. I think he has a higher ceiling in terms of being sort of that possession receiver. The guy that's going to catch those 5-10 yard passes. He might not even be as good after the after the catch, I don't know. But I, 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 I think, again, we're, we're looking at a sort of a developmental guy. There's a question of, is he going to be able to, is he going to put in that work? Sorry about the crackling. I'm setting my phone on my uh, little audio device and I get a text message and it gets weird. Anyways, hopefully you're not still hearing that. But yeah, it's it's just, I think if he puts in the work, I think he can be a solid contributor for the Green Bay Packers. I'm not going to sit here and talk about ceiling and how good can he be. I, I just think he can be a guy that can play and do what needs to be done for the offense. And I'll take it one step further. I had said before, I don't really think there's any genuine competition um, for the top three spots. I may walk that back slightly. Christian Watson really is the only one that I have supreme confidence in based on what he actually was able to produce as a rookie. He showed the signs of a guy that's going to go on to have a good career. I'll leave it at that. Jaden Reed, we don't know. I have confidence in him. I believe he's going to uh, probably win the number two spot or number one or whatever. I think it'll be him and, and Christian Watson. At what point, I don't exactly know, but that is my expectation. But if we're being serious about it, as much as I, I like Romeo Dobbs and I'm, I'm confident based on the, the things he was able to do, and, you know, really, if you, if you just eliminate, and I know this isn't necessarily fair, but he had three really bad games. If you eliminate those three bad games, his grades were 68, 65, 75, 62, 72, 88, 89, 62, 72. Again, I know it's unfair to just pick out a couple games, but just to give you an idea, because there's a difference between, you know, guys that are just like consistently in the 40s, and that's why they grade in the 40s, and guys that are generally really good, but just had some really bad games. 
Actually, let's get rid of week four because it, it's also in the 50s. I know, I know. Just I'm just saying. 24th best wide receiver and our number one guy, right? So solid enough. But the problem is if you don't do that, Dobbs was ranked 83rd out of 102. Um, that would be, where is he at? That would be the 20th worst wide receiver in football. To say that it is a foregone conclusion that he's locked up that number two or even number three spot, I think is foolish. It makes sense to start with him because he's got experience and he's put in the work and all that stuff and he understands the system better. And obviously we've seen the upside with him and seen the eight targets, eight receptions, 73 yards and a touchdown, right? That was obviously a pretty awesome game. The next week, eight targets, uh, week six, nine targets, right? He's a high target guy, seen the route running and all that kind of stuff. So, so you start there. And you hope that he can go, you know, with more opportunities and whatnot, with less of these really bad games, like against New England, against uh, the Jets, against Washington, and against Detroit Week 18. Which it is interesting that his bad stretch was right with the Packers' bad stretch from Week 4, 5, 6, and 7 against New England, the Giants, the Jets, and Washington. Maybe he was more impactful than we thought. But anyways, all that to say, it is not a foregone conclusion that Romeo Dobbs locks up the number two spot or even the number three spot. I think it's going to be a, a, a tough competition. I don't expect him to lose the job to Dontavian Wicks, just to be very clear on that, because I do think Wicks has a lot of uh, learning and growth that needs to happen. And and again, considering I have some concerns about his, you know, is he going to show up and just put in massive amounts of work? I, I hate to keep putting that moniker on him. I'm just saying it's something in the back of my mind, and I hope he, he, he you know, shows me very wrong on that. But that's going to be an important piece for him, is getting up to speed fast. And he's not the only wide receiver we got to look at. But next up, we get up to one of the most exciting prospects in the entire draft. Again, when I did the, I, I did look at him pre-draft. I'm kind of upset that I didn't put him a little bit higher. But my concern with him is, even though I did like watching him, the biggest concern was, what do you do with the guy? Six foot four, three hundred pounds. I mean, he's, he's. I, I want him to be an edge rusher, but he's not going to be an edge rusher in the NFL. I don't know what you do with this guy. Then if you kick him inside, it's like, well, I don't know if I like him as much anymore. But um, quite literally, and you got to understand when you're talking college, there are thousands of guys at every position, thousands of edge rushers. He was arguably the best pass rusher in all of football for Bowling Green. And it's not just small competition there. He went up against Tennessee, Minnesota. Um, well, that might be it as far as big programs, but He's not one of those guys where it's it's the small schools he thrives, and then the big schools is when he has his bad games. That's not the reality at all. His only two games below a 60 were Northern Illinois, uh, NIU, and Kent State. I guess NIU is another pretty big program. But 93 grade, 90 run defense, 92 pass rush, 69 pressures on 386 attempts, which is psychotic, and 12 sacks. I wasn't even looking at the right... <laughs> I, that makes me so... I did that for... I don't know how long. I could not find Romeo Dobbs. I couldn't figure out why. It's because I was set to 2021. That makes me so angry. Um, his only below average games were Mississippi State and UCLA. Of course, Mississippi State, one of the games I have to actually watch. But anyways, um, yeah, all the stats I told you were right. I was just looking at the wrong games. But just an absolute freaking monster. But my, my thoughts on Carl Brooks, I, I really like it. There's a question of why would he fall this far? And I don't think you really have to watch that much of him to find out why he would fall this far. There is an element, first of all, it's, to put it in uh, really succinct terms, it says athleticism. He doesn't have any. It's sort of a, it shouldn't work, but it does kind of a thing. But I, but I, one of the things that I noticed about him too is, I'd never really visualized this before, but I've talked about, for example, safeties. And, and when you have 
speed and processing speed and all that, there's sort of this circle around you. And it, it represents how much ground you can cover. And that's why speed and those kinds of things are important, because you want to be able to cover as much ground as you possibly can. And when you have a safety with a big circle, then that's, you know, that's a no-go zone for them. Carl Brooks, as weird as it sounds, I think has a really small circle. Due to his lack of agility and speed, for example, I've, I've seen him throw guys off of him, but he can't do anything about it because the running back is able to just run around him and he doesn't have that speed or, or change of direction ability to be able to get there. Whereas like a Devontae Wyatt or something, some a, a little bit more of a faster, more agile guy would be able to do that. I don't think he can survive on the edge. I think you can use that once in a while as a as an option. But again, the, the lack of, I mean, when he runs in space, he looks like he is a 340 pound guy. He's very slow. But what he seems to excel at is he's got great hand movements, hand, what he does with his hands, his chops, his swipes, and, and, and despite his lack of agility, he does have sort of this running back, you know, you, you sometimes return, re, refer to a running back as a one cut and go kind of a guy. That seems to be him from the defensive standpoint. He can swipe and do one real big jump cut to the opposite side and then get going north and south to get after the quarterback. He does have that ability. And so when I look at Carl Brooks, it seems pretty obvious to me that he would be, I guess, referred to as a three-tech. And that is to say, he kind of has his one thing that he can do. He is a one-gap, pass-rushing defensive tackle. I don't think, I could be wrong, I don't know that he necessarily can be a two-gapping guy. I'd have to keep watching long enough to see him try to do that. But again, you, you push him inside and then go to the NFL level. It's a whole different thing when you're trying to stand your ground and, and cover two gaps. I think he is just a proficient pass rusher in terms of his ability to just attack a gap and just make it so hard for them to stop you. And I think that's what he does well. Now, again, that, that explains why he would be a sixth round pick despite his pass rush um, abilities. And, he, you know, his run defense grade was a 90. But again, I don't know that that holds up because, you know, when, when he gets to Green Bay, he's not going to be able to just say, this is my one gap. No, you're going to at least have a gap and a half, you know. And they're not going to redesign the defense just for Carl Brooks. Maybe situationally they can, but then you don't want to tip your hand, hey, Carl Brooks is in, so I know what they're running now because he can't handle it. So at least from the start, he is a rotational guy. And of course, when you're a rotational guy, you're going to be expected to do everything, but they're going to want to put him out more so in pass rush situations. And the other thing about, about Brooks is he's not actually, I mean, he's a powerful guy, just like everybody else. He's got that sort of raw power, but he's not as powerful as I remembered him being. He's more of just a, a good pass rusher. You know, his ability to swipe the hands away and kind of attack the right angles and leverage and all those kinds of things. I mean, he just seems to have a good understanding of how to get past the guy as opposed to getting into his chest and pushing him straight back into the quarterback. That doesn't seem to be his thing, which honestly is not... Again, it's hard to pass a guy that's that's this talented, but it doesn't feel as much like a Packers thing. Not mad that he's here. Not mad at the skill set that he has. It just feels like a different type of player as opposed to this powerful guy that's going to grab the offensive guard and just push him straight back and help compress that pocket. He's kind of a one-man wrecking ball, which of course, I mean, if he, if he was like a the number 12 pick, okay, cool. We're going to cut this guy loose. We're not going to cut this guy. You're, you're a supporting actor here. Your job is to not mess up and let Rashawn Gary go do his job. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'm, I'm very interested to see how they use him. Are they going to try him outside once in a while, inside? Um, what kind of an assignment are they going to give him and where is he excelling as opposed to where is he struggling? But I, I do think he's, he seems to be a guy that can excel in a very small range of, of things. 
and I don't know that he has the upside and agility and, and speed and everything else to really be much more or strength, I guess, to be too much more than that. But, I mean, if, if they can get him to be a much better guy and if he really can cover the two gaps or gap and a half or whatever, um, then he has a much higher ceiling. So we'll see. We'll see what, what he ends up doing. But that's kind of where I see him right now is just a sort of a three-tech pass-rushing defensive tackle. But as far as expectations, you know, he's a rotational guy. I, I think being on the inside probably means we're going to see him in some capacity. I don't know exactly how much, but I mean, he's going to have to do something because Wyatt, Slayton, and Clark are going to be your, your number one, two, and three. And then after that, we don't have anybody. We got Jonathan Ford, who did almost nothing. Um, Carl Brooks, if, if Wooden does spend more time on the outside, Carl Brooks is kind of next man up. We don't have a ton of options. Um, which is why I think a lot of people think Van Ness and Wooden are going to spend a lot of time inside just because of the lack of, of actual depth. So I, I actually think there's a, 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 a easy, a, a relatively easy path to him getting on the field quite a bit. And, you know, honestly, with Wyatt not getting a ton of work and not really showing a massive upside, I mean, of course he has upside, but he, he didn't necessarily dominate last year. Um, I think there's a really big opportunity for him. Do I think he meets it or reaches it? No, I don't. But the team doesn't have a, a ton of options. You know, Jonathan Ford is built to only be a rotational nose tackle, and that's it. So as far as I'm concerned, day one, you know, depending on maybe a guy, I, I really don't know. I, I he, he is DT4 today. So he will be playing a decent amount. For reference, DT4... Last year was TJ Slayton. He played 333 snaps because we had Kenny Clark, who's still Kenny Clark. Then we had Jaron Reed, who is going to be um, Wyatt, I suppose. Then we had Dean Lowry, who I guess, well, I guess he's kind of like Kenny Clark now because Clark's going to have to be a defensive, act, uh, defensive end to let Slayton be the nose tackle. Whatever. And then after that, you had, uh, you had TJ Slayton. But then you had Devontae Wyatt at 224 snaps. I don't even know who that's going to be. I mean, it really is a pretty thin group. I mean, we've got some undrafted free agents and Antonio Moultrie and Jason Lawan, But, you know, I mean, again, Colby Wooden's like 270 pounds. I don't think he's big enough to really survive inside. So with Jonathan Ford being kind of locked into that nose tackle position, who is going to be the rotational defensive end after Carl Brooks? I mean, Carl Brooks, again, has a big job already today. Assume Wooden and Van Ness and some of these other guys take some some occasional snaps in there. I mean, Jason Lawan, Antonio Moultrie, I don't know much about those guys, but I feel like they got a pretty big job to step up and see if they can win. Then we got Anders Carlson. Again, don't really need to spend a lot of time on that because he's, you know, there's not much to look at, but he is our starting kicker and I don't really see him losing the job. Then in the seventh round, Carrington Valentine. I'm going to kind of... I guess fly through these because you know how I feel about seventh round picks, but you know, Valentine as a cornerback, I, I first of all didn't necessarily love Carrington Valentine. Watched him against Florida, and I think his best attribute in that game was how bad the quarterback was. That would be Anthony Richardson for those who haven't uh, caught on. He missed him like every time the guy was open, and Richardson just missed him. Um, run play where he just took a terrible angle. I mean, the speed isn't there. I, I just there, there, there wasn't a ton to love. Beyond that, pretty crowded, right? We've got our top three. We've got Stokes. Um, and then beyond that, we've got a bunch of other guys that can potentially play in Shamar, who is a fifth round pick. 
Ballantine, Ballantine, whatever. Keandre Thomas, who showed some flashes. So, I mean, is there an opportunity for him to to make the roster? Yes. Do I think he plays? No. Like at all. I mean, he, he if he, if he makes it, I think he's still going to be behind some of these guys that end up filling in those spots. You know, I mean, if if let's say Stokes doesn't come back and uh, you know. Uh, Razul goes down. What happens? Well, Keyshawn probably takes that spot, and Shamara is our new nickelback. You know what I mean? So I, I, I think he's going to be one of these guys that just kind of floats around until we find better backups. That's what I think. Lou Nichols, I do like a lot. I understand why he's a seventh-round pick. Here's the thing, though. Um, I found a comp of a guy that I really, really, really liked when we drafted him. Also, I believe a seventh-round pick. He was a seventh-round pick. I actually found this article. I've been thinking about this article for a while. I thought I wrote it for another uh, site. I didn't. I wrote it for Packernet. I broke down every single player from the 2017 draft class. The 2017 draft class included Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. And um, that's not who I'm thinking of, though. The guy that I really, really liked was the seventh-round pick that we got, Devontae Mays. I think Lou Nichols reminds me a lot of Devontae Mays. 5'11", 230 pounds. Lou Nichols is 5'11", 222. Seventh round pick. Both of them are seventh round picks. I believe Lou Nichols ran a 4'5", 40. Devontae Mays ran a 4'5", 40. Devontae Mays, 25 reps on the bench. Lou Nichols, 22. I know the bench isn't all that important, but again, it's, it's this whole image of this big, strong, physical guy. But look, Lou is, he's a straight line guy. If he has to go laterally, it doesn't work. When there's nothing there and he tries to break to the outside, there's really no speed there. He is a, once there's a hole, he hits another button. He really generates a, a decent amount of speed and there's a ton of power there. I'm, I'm telling you, he is Devontae Mays 2.0. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for Devontae Mays, which made me really sad because I really, of the three guys we got, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones and Devontae Mays, Devontae Mays might have been my favorite. Partially because he's a seventh round pick, but I, I just, I loved all three guys. The, the three names that I gave them, uh, because I gave them all, you know, little pet names, which is stupid. Jamal Williams, the brawler. Aaron Jones, the bullet ant. Devontae Mays, pinball wizard. And I remembered that I called him pinball wizard. That's how I was able to find the article. But anyways, I really, really liked him. And I really like Lou Nichols for the same reason. But unfortunately, that's not a good sign that he is Devontae Mays. Because again, he didn't really materialize into anything for the Green Bay Packers. In fact, his entire career uh, amounted to, uh, he played in two games for Green Bay in 2017. Four snaps, four attempts, one yard, two fumbles. Oh, that's right. I remember that. He had those two fumbles, and it was like that was it. His whole career was over. It was like a mental thing, I think, for him. I remember that now. It was actually against Baltimore, three attempts, negative one yard, two fumbles. I think he fumbled early, and they pulled him. They put him back in. He fumbled again, and that, that was basically it. He did have one carry against Detroit for two yards. Probably the, it was week 17, so it was the last week of the season, probably the end of the game or whatever, but that was it for his career. It was just done at that point. So that sucks. I believe he's still in the league with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But um, anyways, I really like Devontae Mays. I wish that it didn't, hadn't come to that with the fumbles for him. But we'll see. I mean, he, he's going to compete for that number three spot. I think most people think it's a foregone conclusion. Obviously, it isn't. Um, I'm excited to watch him run because I like his run style. I think he's a decent enough receiver. But again, he is, he is lacking in some... Um, dimensional ability. I think he can be a great running back in a offense that does a great job run blocking. I don't know that the Packers are that team. There's a lot of a lot of what makes Aaron Jones so good is that when things go wrong, which happens a lot, you have to kind of ad lib and you know, if there's a 
area where he can run and just see that one cut and go and, and all that, I think he can do some special stuff. And, and again, I think the receiving is fine so long as he can just turn up field and run. Fingers crossed. This is, this is my Devontae Mays redemption story right here with Lou Nichols. Uh, Anthony Johnson, I, I genuinely do like. He fits my mold of a football player, which I think a lot of these guys do. Lou Nichols is actually another one, um, maybe even more so than Anthony Johnson, and that is that special teamer mentality, also known as the not afraid to die. Johnson likes to work downhill. He wants to come down and hit somebody. And just the lack of, you know, again, I, I don't have a lot of confidence in seventh round picks, but what options do we genuinely have at safety? I mean, again, I do think it's Savage and Ford, but even if you look multi-year, right, Savage probably isn't here next year. I don't know if Rudy Ford is. Anthony Johnson has a, a, a real opportunity to work himself into a starting role. You know, we can assume that we draft somebody next year, but we thought we'd draft somebody this year and we didn't. Never know how the board's going to fall and who's even available at the safety position. So, um, you know, and, and, and Rudy Ford is an undrafted guy. So who's to say that Johnson, who a lot of people think has some actual starting ability, and I don't necessarily disagree, um, I, I actually think he has a, a pretty solid opportunity to maybe be a rotational guy in year one. Obviously, if there's injuries or whatever, there's some potential there. And if Savage maybe gets worked a little bit more in the slot, maybe Johnson can kind of step up into that role. I mean, Savage got benched last year, so who knows how bad things can get. Um, it's not impossible. And, and again, this isn't me hyping up Anthony Johnson as the next coming of this, that, or the other, because I don't think that. But can he be steady enough and consistent enough as a football player to you know, just be that last line of defense and do your job, um, not be confused and have blown this, that, or the other, I think he does have that ability. And, and similar to Rudy Ford, although he doesn't have, I don't think, the athleticism of Rudy Ford, but I think similar to Rudy Ford, he kind of has that uh, willing-to-die, downhill, smashing people mentality that not a lot of safeties do, that I don't think Savage does, although I don't think he... I think he gets too much flack for that. Again, the amount of times I saw him in front of the linebackers making tackles, which ticks me off about the linebackers to begin with but anyways um i think that can be used to his advantage and, and if nothing else i think he again having that special teamer mentality you know is going to give him a leg up as far as at least making the job I, I, I have very little doubt he will make the 53-man roster it's a question of how close to that starting role can he get and um even if it's not this year i think starting next year there's a there's a solid chance for him but then finally grant debose so, I mean, look, DeBose is tough. Um, I only found one game, and it was on YouTube, so it's, it's kind of, there's, there's not a lot there, but it was his game against Middle Tennessee. Did he look good against Middle Tennessee? He did. But some of the, some of the stuff he did, it, it, it looked like an NFL player up against high school kids. Like, you know, pretty basic stuff that NFL co corners would be able to cover that these guys are just lost. So, I mean, he, he was just clearly a better player than, than that caliber and was just kind of tearing these guys up. He had 112 yards and a touchdown in that game. It was just easy. What does that mean in the pros? I don't know. I, from, from trying to watch him, he kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Dontavian Wicks, maybe a little bit less so. Not as twitchy, not as, um, I don't want to say fast, because I think his 40 is actually faster, but uh, he's a little bit more build-up speed, I think, than Wicks, who can, you know, that 0-60 to 60 or 0-40. to 40. But what I wanted to do is, how would I compare him to Samori Ture? Do I think he's going to be ahead of Ture? Is kind of the, I guess, the biggest question at this point in time. We'll see how it all shakes out because it's all just kind of wide open. The hard part is there wasn't much tape on Ture either. And so I'm comparing Grant DeBose against Middle Tennessee and Samori Ture against Illinois. Well, obviously Grant DeBose looks significantly better. But Illinois has got great DBs and Middle Tennessee is whatever they are. 
So look, man, I, I don't know. I, I think um, I think what we need to hope for, I guess we could hope for Grant DeBose being a, a superstar or whatever, but I, I genuinely think the hope is that we don't... I don't even want to say the sentence because people are going to get mad. I, ho- I, I hope we don't really see Grant DeBose. And that's because we don't need Grant DeBose because we've got our... our we got plenty of talent. We got at least four guys in um, Watson, Dobbs, Reed, and Wicks that it isn't going to be that big of a deal. And maybe a, a, it kind of becomes a competition between Grant DeBose and Samori Ture. And obviously, I hope Grant DeBose is better than Samori Ture is. But I kind of feel like they're, you know, they're both seventh round picks. I think you're going to get around the same talent level. And I don't think Samori Ture is as good as many people um, make him out to be. And I don't think he gets much better than what he is. I think he's a seventh-round wide receiver. I mean, let, let me just read some names to you, and you stop me when you hear a really good wide receiver. Uh, Derek Young, Samori Ture, Mike Strachan, Trey Nixon, Ben Skoranek, Kawan Baker, Dax Milne, Juwan Jennings, K.J. Hill, Tyree Cleveland, John Ursua, Terry Godwin, Dylan Mitchell, Ola B.C. Johnson, Javon Wims, Marcel Aitman, uh, Richie James, Auden Tate, Austin Prohl, Trey Quinn, Stacy Coley, David Moore, Isaiah Ford, Noah Brown, Malachi Dupree, Devin Lucian, Demarcus Ayers, Daniel Braveman, Devin Fuller. Um, no, that's not Will Fuller. That's Devin Fuller. Tyrone Peaky, Kellen, Kevin, Kenny Lawler, Neil Sterling, Andre DeBose. That's interesting. I wonder if they're related. Deron Brown, Desmond Lewis, Mario Alford, Trey McBride, uh, Michael Campanero, Jeff Janis, James Wright. You get the point, right? There are guys that play in the NFL. There are guys that have been able to contribute, just like Samori Ture, and I, I don't doubt that there's going to be a contribution. Who are the guys that are dominant football players? If we look at the weighted career approximate value that... Um, um, uh, sports reference has the only players <clears throat> that I can really find since 2010 that have a WAV above a 10 are David Moore from Seattle who played from 2017 to 2021 who played uh, 50 games and had a 12 WAV Richie James who played for the 49 or still plays for 2018, 2022, also at a 12. And then the number one guy since 2010 is the 2012 uh, Richard Matthews, who played for Miami from 2012 to 2018 and had a 22 WAV. And that equates to, let's look at his statistics to be specific here. He played um, in his career, he played 87 games. He started 37 games. He had uh, 230 receptions for 3,160 yards, 21 touchdowns, and uh, that was over the course of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years. That's not terrible, right? He had he had essentially a three-year stretch of being pretty solid in Miami. Um, 600 yards, four touchdowns, 945 yards, and nine touchdowns, and then 795. And four touchdowns. But we're talking about this is the only one since 2010 that has done anything. And this is this is what you get. And he's twice as good as the next best guy. 
So I think Grant DeBose hopefully can be a little bit of a filler, sort of like Samori Ture, when we need a guy to come in, make a play, catch a couple passes, whatever. But the point is, he's a guy that you're working to replace. Right, second best guy, Richie James. Four years in the NFL, he has 1,200 yards and seven touchdowns in his four years. Last year was his biggest year in year four with a, for a new team. He went from the 49ers to the Giants, had his best year, 569 uh, yards, four touchdowns. That is sort of the second best seventh round pick since 2010. So that's where I'm at with that. Anyways, I'm going to leave it there. Those are my thoughts so far. Well, hopefully we'll be getting some more in-depth information sooner than later. But you guys have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.